Welcome to The Alignment Show, featuring conversations with folks who have taken steps to identify their highest values and align their lives around them. Time on this earth is not unlimited, and you may be seeking to make sure you spend your time on things that matter to you. These conversations will encourage you and support you in doing so. Now, let's meet this week's guest on The Alignment Show. And a good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whatever it might be where you are in the world. Welcome once again to this edition of The Alignment Show. I have to say, starting right out, that things are a little bit different from our usual flow of things. This is one of those rare episodes where we have recorded it ahead of time. This is scheduled for June the 7th, and it happens that I'm going to have to be out of town that day. But... We wanted to go ahead and have the alignment show for you. I will do my best to be on uh, in the comments. And we want to encourage folks to go ahead and interact because we're going to be able to see those things later on. We can get back to you with information. But in any case, I am excited to bring to you today a guest that I've only known for a couple of months. But I can't tell you how impressed I have been with her. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about her background. If you've ever eaten a Wendy's Baconator, you have literally eaten the words of today's guest. She is brand name expert Alexandra Watkins. One of the things she does is help people to come up with titles in their own businesses. And so I love the title she's chosen for herself. She is the chief executive boss lady an outrageously outspoken founder of Eat My Words, the only branding firm on the planet that specializes in creating brand names that make people smile instead of scratch their heads. And she uses those words as, as an acronym to help guide the tests for names. Clients including Amazon, Google, Twitter, Disney, Coca-Cola, and Colgate have tapped her to come up with creative and engaging names that move people and move products. And so I think it, we're very fortunate to have Alexandra Watkins with us today. Let's go ahead and bring her on. Welcome to the program, Alexandra. Thanks, Don. Great to be here. Wow. You're, and you're coming to us from California, by the way. Yes, so, uh, live from San Diego, uh, yeah. talking to you in my pool house, looking out at the pool, two giant pink flamingos, uh, Maui and Wowie. <laughs> well, and, and I know, I happen to know one of the things that's behind you. I think that's a picture of your dog that's right behind you. Is oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is Jojo. I painted this. Did you really? I did, yes. Oh, wow. I, I am the activities director for my women's club here in Ocean Beach. And <laughs> uh, one of the activities I did was a paint your pet portrait class. And <laughs> that's the portrait of Jojo. And Jojo's locked in the house. So she <laughs> don't worry, she has food and water, <laughs> plenty of room to run around. But yeah, I didn't want her bark. <laughs> she would bark. She, oh, well. Just, yeah, Jojo's law. If, if, <laughs> Quiet is needed. Recording a podcast, JoJo will bark. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's just part of life. So uh, I, I appreciate getting to know folks on that level. Now, I can also see behind you uh, your book, which I've got a copy of right here. And this is your second edition. Yes. In fact, uh, <laughs> folks, I met Alexandra uh, as part of the Bob Berg group that you've heard us talk about 
here, the Go-Giver Success Alliance. Yep, there we are. Uh, And and it's almost been a a game as we get together on Zoom when somebody mentions Alexandra and her book. How many of us can hold up the book? We've got it right here. And, and, And the thing, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, Alexandra, is I actually had the first edition of your book and I didn't make the connection at first. Oh, uh, you know, I, I think you, you wrote the first one in 2014, I believe. Yeah. And then uh, this is the second edition, completely revised and updated. I think you said you added like 50 percent more content. Yeah, I did. I added 50 percent more pages because yeah. and it's it's it's, you know, no fluff, no extraneous fluff. Um, in fact, I wanted to write when I wrote in the forward, there's no, you know, updated it, added all these pages, there's no extraneous fluff. I wanted to write, hey, extraneous fluff would make a really fun band name. But then I thought, wait a minute, that sentence would be extraneous fluff. So I didn't include it. <laughs> but yeah, just the meat, baby. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and I want to, I want to talk with you about the naming stuff and the insights, you know, but but before we dig into that, um, you know, we're always talking to people about how did you get started with what you do? I mean, in a way, we could say that you're a branding expert, but this is a, a I'm never sure whether it's niche or niche, but, you know, it's within that whole branding thing. Really important factor, because if people choose badly, it can stick with them for years. Uh, yeah. But, you know, th- did you start in marketing? Have you always played with words like even in junior high school? How, how did you get started with this? Well, I have kind of a crazy story. So or it's an unusual story, I should say. I when I was in eighth grade, I grew up here right here in San Diego. And when I was in eighth grade, I I don't know if I was watching a lot of episodes of Bewitched or what, but I well I used to collect uh, magazine ads. I just tear them out of because I loved the headlines. They were so clever. So I knew I wanted to be in advertising, and I announced that to the world. And so when it came time to go to college, I didn't want to go to college because I already figured out what I wanted to do. So much to my parents, my well-educated parents' chagrin. Um, I said, I don't want to go to college. I want to just get into advertising. So I, there was an advertising school, believe it or not, right where I grew up in La Jolla, California. And so I went to the school for a year. My parent, my, you know, it was a brand new school. My parents were not liking that idea, but they, they let me go. And, and actually, you know, fast forward 40 years, however long it's been, I, uh, I see the Dean every once in a while. (laughs) He's become a friend and, He's like, yeah, you're one of the top five graduates we've ever had. So that's really gratifying. But yeah, after that, I just went into, I talked my way into into jobs and advertising, you know, working my way up to uh, Ogilvy and Mather, you know, big giant, you know, conglomerate. And then from there, um, as a copywriter, every once in a while, I would get thrown a bone and get to name something. And I love naming, but I didn't know that naming was a profession because I was in advertising and naming's part of branding. So the way to think of it is branding comes in the beginning, right? When you're developing the brand, you know, what's the name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What are the colors? You know, what's the logo? And then advertising is, you know, towards that, you know, much later on, you know, or traditionally it was, you know, now all the venture, you know, people raise all this venture capital and start advertising right away. But back in the day, you had to actually 
grow your brand before you could start laying a lot of money into advertising. So yeah, I, I just decided that's what I wanted to do. And so I, I switched gears and told everyone I'm a, I'm a professional namer and people are like, you can't do that. You can't just make a living doing that. And you know what? I did. <laughs> well, pioneer for sure. Um, you just you've opened up so many things there. I'm, I worked in advertising for a little bit years ago. It was in a, a, a totally different setting. Uh, I, I helped to open the first five Sam's Wholesale Clubs, but you know it was it was copywriting stuff, and I hadn't even thought about the the fact that people don't talk to the advertising experts, or at least they didn't used to until they'd already picked a company name, a, a concept and all that sort of thing. Uh, th there's this artificial divide in a way between marketing and advertising and sales. Um, mm -hmm. It seems like to me that people are a little more aware of the, the connection these days. Have you found, because you know, you've been doing this for, what is it, 18 years, something like that? Yeah, well, I started in advertising almost 40, almost 40 years, well, 37 years ago. Um, and yeah, I've been doing it, how to eat my words for 18 years and I've been naming a little longer than that. But you're absolutely right, Don. Everything is kind of come together and it's because of the internet, right? So people, I mean, look at a Facebook ad, right? Someone develops a product, creates a really compelling Facebook ad with a strong sales script. So all of a sudden it's like it's out there and people are seeing it. So it's like it's all combined together where, you know, traditionally, and I suppose in big companies still, you know, there's the sales department, the marketing department, you know, advertising, branding, but people don't want to share budgets. And I think that's why traditionally things weren't as connected. Mm -hmm. But now a lot of people, you know, you can invent a product put the ad on Facebook, you know, market it, do everything, all the sales, all yourself, you know, it's all the tools have made it easier. Well, and, and I, I wonder, cause you've got several tools on your website to help people. With this. So this is not just trying to get them to, to hire you. Um, I, I bet most folks couldn't afford to hire you cause you're working at a fairly high level. Uh, I'm going sideways here. What I'm trying to say is we're hearing a lot these days about, things like chat GPT and I'm looking at it from a writer's standpoint. I know visual artists who are looking at it from that standpoint with that sort of thing, are people likely to simply come up with bad names faster or do they, <laughs> or do they still need the insights of, of the human interaction? Does that make well, sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And you know, chat GPT, you can say like, you know, come up with names for a, a, a podcast that's targeted at millennials and you're going to get some pretty generic stuff. But if you know how to prompt it, so like I used it the other day for a couple of hours, I was just, but I knew how to prompt it, you know, mm. come up with, um, you know, metaphors for, I was naming a fitness, a fitness equipment company, come up with metaphors for things that are strong. You know, and so I knew how to feed it, how to make up words. I knew how to prompt it. But if you don't, and, and while I was doing chat GPT, so I get like a list of 100, 100 words, but only use one. And it dawned on me, what you really need when you're naming things other than creativity is 
patience because I can spend weeks trying to come up with a name, but I can also, you know, spend a couple days um, or even an hour. And I, you know what, I, I, for big companies, yes, like a normal, you know, mere mortal probably would have a tough time paying some of our, our, our prices, but I do have services to help, you know, solopreneurs, entrepreneurs. Um, I have something called name it ASAP where you can hire me, you know, fill out our creative brief. I'll come up with, I always say 40 names in advance, but you know, sometimes I come up with a hundred and then we jump on a call, go through the names. I can come up with more for you, show you my tricks, um, you know, kind of pull back the curtain, so to speak. And that that's much more affordable. And that's usually on sale for 2,500 bucks. Um, and then, you know, if someone wants me to review their names or taglines, five, I'll do that for $500. So I try to make it, I try to work with everybody. You got all kinds of levels there. And, and folks, you know, she's put her book out there. Yep, keep showing the book because it's just it, it is a fantastic book. One of my favorite parts of it was the brain, I, I guess, for lack of a better term, the brainstorming part here, because we generally think of brainstorming as you get a bunch of people in a room and throw ideas out and see what sticks. There's no structure to that. I mean, you have given a structure to the process. Uh, the way I'm thinking of it as, as a writer, uh, if, if we go back to you know looking at Shakespeare, and the sonnet, the sonnet is a highly structured format for a poem. It's got to have a certain rhythm to it, a certain rhyme scheme. It seems kind of restrictive, but by having those guardrails, an overused word these days, but I can't think of a better one, then it allows you all kinds of creativity within that. Uh, it strikes me that some of your genius is to set up a system to guide the creativity. Is that one of the things that you really bring to people and helping them with come up with a name? Yes. And by the way, I don't think guardrails is overused. I think it's underused. I haven't heard that word in a while. Mm -hmm. And it's a great, I have guardrails for reviewing names to kind of keep people on track and make sure they're asking themselves the right questions when they're reviewing them. But as far as the process, yeah, I do have, I do have a step-by-step -step process. Um, and I have places like, these are the places you should be looking for ideas. And I make sure I go to all those places. And sometimes people will say to me, well, I, I only need, you know, five names. What about if you just do five names for me? Like that would be impossible because I have all these places that I look for ideas. I couldn't just stop at one. I got to make sure that I don't leave any stones unturned. Mm -hmm. And that's why when I'm coming up with names, I don't know how many I'm going to come up with, but even though like I tell people you get 40 names, if I feel like there's more there, I'm going to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, it makes sense in light of another aspect of, I guess, general creativity that I think I've noticed that it's more like, keep in mind, I'm not an artist. Okay. But it seems to me to be more like what a sculptor does than like what a painter does, at least in my stereotypical understanding painter starting with a blank canvas and you just add paint to it until that last brush stroke. It sounds like that's what people are wanting to do when they tell you come up with five names. It's more about accumulating raw material, so to speak, and then removing what doesn't belong. That's Is really that good, Don. I like that. Yeah. Well, a lot. Of, so when, when I teach people how to brainstorm, 
all that. And yeah, you're, by the way, you're absolutely right. Sitting in a conference room, that's so old school, right? Like that's like nothing has changed there, but, but all these opportunities are being missed. So people come to the brainstorming and they're throwing out ideas, you know, they're throwing spaghetti at the wall, seeing what sticks. And what happens is the extroverts, people like me, and I imagine you're somewhat extroverted with that voice of yours. I'm actually well, an introvert, but that's it, even though question. you're an introvert, Don, your voice is you have a very um, bold voice that like all heads would turn if your mouth opened, right? <laughs> so people hear you. But then there's the wallflowers, right? They might have great ideas, but they're not saying them because either, you know, the fear of either they're, they're just, you know, they're not that person. They're not the shouted out, the sales guys, right? They're the ones that are dominating. Um, but, you know, you could be like a designer. You could be an admin with a great idea, but you're not saying it. Or maybe you are about to ask your boss for a raise and you're, the boss is saying an idea that you know it sucks, but you don't want to say it sucks because you're about to ask your boss for a raise. So there's all these weird dynamics that play into brainstorming. And that's why I don't do it that way. The ideal number of people to brainstorm is one and the you and all the tools you need are right in front of you on your computer. And here's just a, a, one example. Uh, you know, there's that saying, a picture says a thousand words. So instead of sitting in a in a room trying to come up with ideas and using your brain like what can you think of uh, if you go online so let's say you're naming something that's fast a, a, a microprocessor that's fast just go to uh, a stock photo site google images and type in fast and see the pictures that come up and then that's gonna that's gonna make you think so imagine uh like puma is a puma is fast it's cougar and there's, you know, the running shoe, Puma. So mm -hmm. maybe that's how they came up with a name, right? So the metaphorical names, I think, are great. Um, those are my favorite style of names because they're so expressive. And so, like, Amazon is a great metaphorical name, right? It's, it's just enormous. And anything Amazon introduces fits under that umbrella name. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I could... Um... I got an insight, I think, from hearing about your process with this. And by the way, folks, whole chapter on it, page 84 there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it's a different way of thinking about brainstorming. Um, you bring up so many great insights into what typically happens in a conference room. And so, you know, starting out one-on-one. -on -one, uh, in fact, you've even got some stuff later in the book about, okay, when it comes down to, I don't think you use the word committee, but, you know, in most corporate settings there's going to be a committee that that passes off on it and you can wind up with the least bad name that way mm -hmm. uh, so you've got some great suggestions on how do you shepherd the ideas through that process yeah that's so true because oftentimes what happens is you don't end up with the best name you end up with the name that's met with the least resistance and any of your listeners right now that are hearing this and have gone through this are shaking their head. Cause like, I see it when I talk up, when I do, when I speak, do speaking engagements and I see the people, the nodding of the eyes and the remembering like, Oh my God, that name, it was the most boring flat name, but like nobody had this like strong reaction, like, uh, but 
uh, oftentimes what happens in, in focus groups are notorious for watering down names and rejecting great ideas. But if you think about it, so think about a name like the, you know, there's an international uh, beauty, beauty company called The Body Shop, right? We've seen them. They're in airports. They're retail malls everywhere. Um, you know, a focus group could have, someone could have said, ew, Body Shop, that's like my greasy mechanic and their waiting room has magazines from 1973, you know? And so they're bringing that into it. And then suddenly, you know, someone from marketing is killing the name. And when it's a perfectly awesome name, you know, Coach, another one. Coach is a, you know, international luxury brand. But somebody in a focus group, you know, Coach, no, that's the worst place to sit in an airplane. Like, that's not luxury or Coach. No, that's a sweaty guy with a whistle. Mm -hmm. So people, you know, we always, every namer will tell you, like, don't focus group your name. You know, there's proper ways to ask people for opinions without, without, you know, the non-experts kind of weighing in with their own personal opinion. But here's the question that everyone should ask themselves is not, do I like it, but is it right for the brand? Because that's a different question. Do I like it? Is subjective? Is it right for the brand is more objective. Okay. Okay. And I, I got to tell you, as I was reading through your book just recently, last couple of days going through it again, uh, it struck me that so much of what you're doing is about finding the right questions to ask. I mean, that's just such a great insight right there. But what, what people tend to do, as you just said, what people tend to do is to say, do I like it? Uh, d d does my grandmother like it? You know, just, to, well, who cares in a way what granny thinks? Is she in the target market? Mm -hmm. One thing. But it is really about the only way to test this is to, pick the name and then see how people respond to it out in the marketplace? Well, I think the, the thing to do before you do anything is run. We have this test. You mentioned, you mentioned, you know, my philosophy and name should make you smile instead of scratch your head. And mm -hmm. the, I created this 12 point name evaluation test based on that called the smile and scratch test. Smile is an acronym for the five qualities that make a name great. It's suggestive of something about your brand, so it's not arbitrary. It's memorable, meaning it's based in the familiar. It has imagery. People remember uh, images and pictures much more easily than they remember words and letters. So when they're trying to recall it later from their brain's dusty filing cabinet, if it's something that they could picture in their head, it's going to be easier for them to recall it and remember your brand. The L stands for legs. And that's when your name lends itself to wordplay. So, you know, the name of my company, Eat My Words, you know, we we have, uh, you know, a menu of services. Our blog is called The Kitchen Sink. So if you can have fun with your name like that, consumers love that. And you can extend the mileage of your brand. And the E in smile stands for emotional. So your name needs to make an emotional connection with people. So that's kind of a better way to test it, at least in the beginning. And then scratch is when to scratch it off the list. If it's spelling challenge, a copycat, if it's restrictive and it locks you in to, for, to future growth, if it's annoying, tame, has the curse of knowledge, or is hard to pronounce. And you mentioned some resources I have on my website. You can run any name. Oh, oh look, there it is. Yeah, there's it our website. Test, it says test a name at the top of our website. You can click on that and you can test any name. 
It takes you through the 12 questions. It gives you tips and advice along the way. And then when you, yep, you just type your name in. And then when you get to the end, uh, you can have your results emailed to you. I'm going to get your results. And if there's something I think I can help you with, uh, I'll, I'll shoot you an email and, uh, and let you know how I can help you. Or, you know, like, hey, we're having a special deal. You know, I always do things like that. So, yeah, t test your name. And there's also a free um, mini masterclass there on uh, uh, how to create super sticky brand names is the main course. And then there's a free mini course that uh, will take you through the basics. Yeah, there it is. Free mini class. Yeah, improve your brand name, creativity, and confidence. Wow, wow. And, and folks, just in case you have an interest in um, – Let's see here. This is like running a starship. Uh, let's take that one off of there and then show your book, which we've been kind of doing anyway. Oh, where'd you go? There you are. Okay. This is live, live stuff, folks, even though it's recorded. How many okay. reviews does it have? I can't see <laughs> my magnifying let's glass. Let's see. We're, we're at 729 ratings. Wow. wow. 4.7 stars, folks. I mean, uh, I got to tell you, this is this is a resource that every business person should get into. And, and it's about more than just naming your business, naming products. Uh, I had to chuckle, Alexandra, in your intro, introduction or preface. Uh, you said something about, oh, it's not about uh, smoking a lot of weed and, you know, writing stuff down. <laughs> Doing bong hits. Yeah, it, it's the reason I'm chuckling about it is my wife is a, um, a crocheter. I mean, she crochets constantly and we are always laughing at the names for the colors that they come up with on the yarns, you know, because oh. we have literally said, how do they name these things? I bet they get together on Friday nights to smoke a little weed and, and, and I've, I've got a few of them here. You know, like, you know, if you're talking about something like a green turquoise and red, that's pretty obvious. Okay. But uh, what color is flapper girl? Oh, pink. Doesn't it doesn't just from what I can see on the sheet here, it, it looks more like sure rainbow sherbet. Um, oh, you cream. mean all those colors together are flapper girl? Yeah, see, I don't like. Oh, I, I'm, I I'm not going to see if I can. Uh, we can't really oh. see it up there, but I, I was just at Joanne yesterday at the fabric store. Okay, uh -huh. now I have to go back there and look at the yarns. Look at the yarns. Yeah, there's one called uh, Daydreamery, uh, Argentine, After Dinner. The struggle is real. I mean, you know, in a way, wow. these are creative names, but they don't tell anything about okay what kind yeah of you know that's funny they're taking a cue from opi nail polish uh -huh. and the who has names like i'm not a waitress that's one of their best selling ones yeah it tells you nothing about the color uh -huh. Uh -huh. i like the ones where i like i like the ones where it's evocative of the color more evocative the paint paint you know paint stores are great for looking at that um, yeah, I've always, that would be, you know what, that's funny. That would be a good, a good dream job to have if I didn't have eat my words going to be a, I, 
yeah, who does that? Who names all those things? There's somebody whose job that is, you know. And so, yeah, I, I, they may have your book because although it doesn't evoke much about the color, you know, there's some creative uses of, of ideas there. You know, uh, there's a, a wheat field. You know, that doesn't tell me exactly what the color is, but it does give me a sense of the pattern and, and uh, it's memorable. You know? Yeah, wheat is a color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I got to, uh, again, I got to wonder as a uh, longtime speaker, you know, people will get nervous when I'm in the room and they're speaking and I'll say, no, no, I'm off the clock, but I can't help, you know, in listening, I'll think, okay, that was a great opening story. It would have worked better if you had used this as your close. You can't turn it off. So do you run into that, that everywhere you go, there are products, there are companies and, and you're, you're evaluating the names? Sure. And it happens to everyone who reads my book. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it's it's affected you too much, which is good. But yeah, in fact, when I got my book, I got, an editor approached me and asked me to write a book. And he told me that the sign of a good book after he had, you know, I finished the book, he read it, everything. He said, the sign of a good book is if it changes you. And he said, that's what changed for him. He started noticing names and when things were spelled in a weird way, you know, the spelling was butchered or hard to pronounce or it was arbitrary, um, you know, basically anything that failed the smile and scratch test. Yeah. What happens is people become much more aware. So, yeah, I talked to a, a motion picture guy one time who his whole thing was continuity on sets. And he said it ruined every movie for him because he would notice, notice things. And I said, what's the number one thing that you notice that people don't do? And he said, light switches being flipped on and off. And I thought that was so interesting, right? Because we all, we all have this expertise that then we notice it. And it's, yeah, there's, you, can't, you can't undo it. That's the curse of knowledge, by the way, that I talk about with my names. Yeah, yeah. So what... I know you get asked all the time, what's your favorite one? I'm, I'm curious about that, but I'm also curious, is there a, without necessarily naming a particular company or whatever, is there something you would love to get your hands on about helping name? You know, like, I don't know, stars, uh, a planet, uh, a, yeah, a, I an industry. Well, I was at the San Diego Zoo recently which, with my mom, and we went to this new exhibit they had on bugs, and there was this beetle. It was yellow and black. I posted it on LinkedIn. It's called the Taxi Cab Beetle, and I just loved it. I mean, as a kid, I used to go to the San Diego Zoo all the time as a kid, and, like, anything that makes – this is what I love. Like, when something – that's boring is made interesting. Like no kid is ever going to know or remember the Latin name of that bug, but they're going to remember the taxi cab, right? So that's a sign of a good name. If you can remember it, you know, months after you first saw it, or if you're talking about it, right? That's, a, that's like, if somebody starts talking about your name, you know, I call it tweeting and repeating, you're golden. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that even makes me think about you've got, I'll bet this is one of the sections that you added. You have a great section in your book about uh, domain names, mm -hmm. things to avoid there and how to, uh, how to avoid some of the big problems there. That ties in with what I hear you saying about the taxicab beetle, you know, making it memorable without making it problematic. 
Yeah, that's a good point. There's a lot of people get hung up on domain names. In fact, the, the thing that people do do that if they could if if people would just do this one thing, don't start naming, you know, trying to come up with a name by looking to see if a domain name is available. Who cares? Just add a modifier word. You know, for the first 13 years they were in business, Tesla was not Tesla.com. They were Teslamotors.com. And that didn't stop them, right? And I always talk about, you know, getting around the roadblocks like Tesla does. Facebook was originally the Facebook. Square was Square Up. So if you come up with a name that you like and it's available for trademarking and hey, if you need a trademarking resource, I've got the best guy. You know him too. Joey Vitale of Indie Law, I-N-D-I-E Law. Um, make sure that you can protect your brand name and that it's available and nobody else has anything similar to it because that you're going to be in a world of hurt and then I'm going to hear from you crying that, oh my gosh, I have to spend $50,000 rebranding my company. So, um, yeah, you want to, sorry, I got, sorry, I got off, I got off track talking That's about, okay. about indie law. Yeah. Um, but okay. <laughs> I, you got to take me back. What, what were we talking about? Oh, well, this is just where the conversation went. You know, we were talking about just domain names. And All right. Great advice yes. there about don't start with the domain name and then name your business. Yes. Name yes. your business, and brand it, find a way to make it fit then. Exactly. In fact, Indie Law today, Joy Vitale posted something about, look, just because you own the domain name doesn't mean that you own the trademark. And people make that mistake all the time. So follow him on uh, on on LinkedIn. Yeah, and okay. folks, I will add that to the show notes here. I'm not going to try to add it live oh, while we're yeah, recording, but I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. So thank you. Okay. Okay. So here's the thing. You were talking about making it memorable. So a lot of people just, you know, they'll like spell a name, you know, in a weird way or, you know, add a hyphen. That's going to, anytime you have to spell, like if you're saying it's, you know, eat my word, eat hyphen my hyphen word, like that's slowing you down. Don't do hyphens. Um, be creative. Here's one of the most creative domain names I ever saw was uh, for a smoked turkey company called Greenberg Turkeys, right? Greenberg, you could see Greenberg could be spelled, Berg could be with a E or a U. Uh, but instead, they got a domain name that's absolutely unforgettable, and it's gobblegobble.com. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And another one, really creative. Uh, I was at the Fancy Food Show one year up in San Francisco, and and I'm a peanut butter just um, addict. I love I love peanut butter so much. It doesn't matter what kind it is. I'll eat, I'll eat it. So at the fancy food show, there must have been over a dozen peanut butter purveyors. And, you know, it's hard to keep them all straight. So I'm, you know, walking around eating all the samples. And then um, I turn the corner and there it is on this big banner. And it says, I love peanut butter dot com. Now, that's creative, right? Because that just... Because if you love peanut butter, peanut butter is polarizing. You either love it or you hate it. So I made a beeline for that company and started talking to them. And it turns out their name is Peanut Butter and Co. And you can go to peanutbutterandco.com and get to their website. But guess what? It redirects you to I Love Peanut Butter. 
all of their emails are, you know, Alexandra at I love peanut butter, whatever the person's name is. So they know how infectious that domain name is and they've used it. I wrote about it in my book. They gave me an apron. I'm like, I'm like so endeared to that company. But those are things you can do. Um, there's a, a condo building in San Francisco called Lumina. They couldn't get Lumina.com, so they got Life at Lumina. I mean, that really makes an emotional connection. It's a you know luxury condos, and that's oh, like, yeah. ooh, Life at Lumina. I want to live there. That sounds like. So anytime you can bring emotion into your domain name. You're you're actually helping. It's just another point point where you can like enforce reinforce your brand and have fun with it. Absolutely. Just a little tech tip, in fact, for listeners who might be thinking about this. Oh, that's that could be a bunch of different websites. Uh, Alexandra mentioned right there. You can have your primary website, and then if you get other domain names that you think people might associate with you, you can point them to your main website. Uh, you know, I've got a problematic one because of the way my first name is spelled, you know, with the two N's. Confidencecultivators.com is easy to remember. Uh, I've also got donking.com and donaldking.com. I don't have to have three different websites. They can all point to the same place. And, and a domain name, if you at a .com level, you can probably get it for 20 bucks a year. Yeah, and start out, yeah, and probably start out for $2.99 a year. I recommend everyone get their domains from GoDaddy. Um, which is a name that it breaks the smile and scratch test rules, but sometimes they're just a name that's fun to say and that that's okay. But yeah, it's better than, you know, their competitor network solutions. Like that just, com that name combines two of the most boring words in the English language into one super boring name. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so, Folks, we are running out of time here. In fact, we're a little over time, and I know Alexandra has to get to another appointment. So, Alexandra, I am so grateful to you coming on here. The main reason, honestly, that I do these podcasts is I get to have fun conversations, and this one was fun for me. I think it was useful to our listeners who are looking at their own businesses. So, once again, thanks for being here. Uh, we've got your website on the crawl down here for folks who are listening audio only. You can remember eatmywords.com, okay? This follows the rules that Alexandra has been talking about. It's easy to remember, uh, and she literally lives by her words. So, you know, eatmywords.com, and that will take you to all these resources that we've been talking about. I also want to uh, share if you would like to connect with her on LinkedIn. We've got a QR code up here on the screen. And again, for those who are listening audio only, we'll have a link to her LinkedIn uh, in the show notes. So that's going to be the best way to get in touch with her. Uh, Alexandra, I always like to wind up by saying I'm always a generalist talking to people who are specialists in their area. There is probably something that you wish I had asked that I didn't ask. Is there an unasked question? And what would your answer be? Um, well, I think a really easy one is you could have asked what my favorite name is. And my favorite name ever that I, that I didn't do is for a bicycle pump. And it, the name is Joe Blow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, folks, one of my favorite chapters in here uh, where she's talking about the, the names that can be a little suggestive and, you know, where you might go over the line one way or the other. But boy, they are memorable. 
Joe Blow, okay, for a bicycle pump. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, again, Alexandra, thank you. If you'll hang on for just a second after you go into the green room, we will uh, let people know what's coming up. Uh, again, folks, this is one of those rare episodes that is recorded, so I'm not able to interact directly with folks here. But we encourage you to go ahead and make your comments. Um, I'm, I'm realizing, uh, Alexandra, she can still hear me, although she's not on screen. Uh, you recently worked with a friend of ours, Jason Jang, and helped him to come up with a name for his company and his, his activities. Jason is almost always on with the show, so I'll bet that Jason has been commenting all along. And because this is recorded, I'm not 100% sure who will be coming up next week, but I can guarantee you that we will have a guest on next week who will be talking with us about his or her origin story, how they aligned their lives with their values. It will be encouraging to you and insightful to help you to live your values and value your life. And that's what we're about here on The Alignment Show. We'll see you next week. That's it for this week's episode of The Alignment Show. What has it inspired you to do in your own life? Whatever it is, take action now and take the first step. It will help you to talk with a friend about what you're thinking. Share confidencecultivators.com to spread the goodness. And remember to live your values and value your life. We will see you next week on The Alignment Show.